May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one we fix our eyes upon in these Lenten days. I read a story the other day, and though my pastor father, my retired pastor father, is still alive, it could have been about him and his children. The story goes like this. A family has gathered at the hospital. They're surrounding the bedside of their elderly father. For more than 60 years, he has been a quietly faithful pastor, well-respected by his brothers in ministry. Two of his own sons are pastors, and as well as several of his grandchildren. This does ring true for the Bars family. But he is dying. This is certain. So he asked his children and their spouses to leave the room. He only wants one person to be present, not the doctor, not a nurse, but his own pastor. This was the man he needs. Out in the hallway, one of the daughters asks, what's going on? What is dad doing? To which one of the brothers, one of the pastors answers, private confession, private confession and absolution. Why, the daughter continues, he's been a pastor all of his life. What does he need to confess? The pastor brothers looked at each other and nodded knowingly. The word before us may surprise you as much as that incident of a dying pastor confessing surprise some of his family. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts to ponder the word of God from Luke chapter 13. Words that reveal good news for worse sinners and for worse offenders and for faithless fig trees. People God dearly loves. The crowd surrounding Jesus in Luke 13 followed the news. They had no newspapers to read, no radios to listen to, no websites to scan, no alerts on their cell phones. But there was a tragedy to report. Some Jews from Galilee, from up north, they were probably in Jerusalem for the Pentecost, the Passover festival. They have been martyred. And Pilate's soldiers have mingled their blood with the blood of the lambs which were being ceremonially slaughtered by the priests and the Levites in the temple courts. Maybe this has just happened. Maybe this happened some time ago. Verse 1 seems to me to suggest that this news is immediate. And they expect Jesus to show his outrage. How dare this pagan Roman governor desecrate the temple and some of God's covenant people while they are carrying out this holy ritual? But Jesus surprises them, and he surprises us with his response. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans and worse sinners than you, the listeners there, is implied? Because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus turns the tables. He doesn't address the question and begin writing a book, Why do bad things happen to good Galileans? He doesn't give any evidence that they really had done some very evil things and were getting what they deserved. Instead, Jesus gets to the heart 
of the matter. Galileans, all Galileans, and all of you are bad. So Galileans, all Galileans, and all of you need to repent. Jesus even gives another example. Now we know from John chapter 9 about the miracle of the healing of the blind man who Jesus told to go wash in the pool of Siloam. But Jesus reminds the crowd about a tragedy with the Tower of Siloam. This is in southern Jerusalem, the southern part of the city. The tower collapsed and 18 people died. This really happened, though there's no other reference to it in Scripture and no other historical information. Well, Jesus questions, were those people who died at Siloam worse offenders than all the other people living in Jerusalem? No, that's not the point. The men who died in this construction accident, that's the most likely explanation, were no more wicked than anyone else. So Jesus concludes with almost identical words, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus refuses to lean into a theology of glory. This means he won't allow a certain tragedy to be connected to a specific sin, nor will Jesus allow a certain blessing to be connected to a specific good deed. The point Jesus makes is the truth all of Scripture from beginning to end teaches. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Paul in Romans 3, verse 23. And we, all of us, were dead in our trespasses. That's Paul in Ephesians 2, verse 5. And again, in these words that we often use as a confession in the divine service, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's John in his first letter, the first chapter, verse 8. It's this real. It's this true. It's this undeniable. Every human tragedy is a call to repentance. From the indiscriminate and unconscionable bombing and missile strikes in Ukraine upon civilian buildings to the sad and shocking report of a pickup crossing the center line and colliding into a van with the golf teams from the University of Southwest near Andrews out in West Texas on Tuesday night. Here's the reality. It's just a matter of time. Death is coming for us all. No one gets out alive, not the retired pastor who asked his own pastor to hear his confession, not the martyred Galileans, not the construction workers on the tower at Siloam, not the civilians in Ukraine lined up to receive bread, not the golfers on the highway in West Texas, and not Roosevelt, whose heart finally weakened and failed early Friday morning. Now Jesus tells a parable. A man has a fig tree in his vineyard. It wasn't a wild tree. It was deliberately planted. And he keeps coming back looking for figs, but there aren't any. Not this summer, not last summer, not the summer before that. So he tells the vine dresser, the chief gardener, get rid of it. Cut it down. It's using up good soil. But the gardener replies, sir, 
Have a little more patience. Leave it this year. I'll till around it. I'll provide some natural fertilizer. Then if you come back next summer and find figs, great. But if there's no fruit, then I'll cut it down. It is a curious conversation. I'm almost surprised that the gardener hasn't already chopped the fig tree down out of frustration, not waiting for orders. This parable is an indictment of God's covenant people. They aren't bearing fruit. They look alive, but they are dead and unfruitful. But this parable is not just about ancient Israel. It's about us. It's about you. It's about me. Who is the vine dresser? Who do you think? Jesus is calling all people to repentance, and Jesus is patient. As the Apostle Peter writes in his second letter, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, maybe you've been wondering about my sermon title. I kind of hope you have been. Is there really good news for worse sinners? You're one of them. And for worse offenders, I'm one of them. And for fruitless fig trees, yes, there is. The good news centers in another tree. It's a barren tree stripped of its leaves, stripped of its bark, hewn into a rough post and a splintered beam. It's planted deliberately on a rock hill called Golgotha. There our Lord is nailed. There his holy blood is shed for guilty sinners, for desperate offenders. And from this unlikely garden, there is fruit, abundant fruit. It is the fruit of forgiveness, the fruit of salvation, the fruit of righteousness. It is the fruit given by the splash of water and the triune name Tekela Noel this morning. Good news? Yes, very good news for the Lenten people of God. Good news which prompts in us the abundant fruit of praise from all those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.